Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 to 18. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything existed should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonements for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the privilege of being able to meet like this uh, on a Sunday morning. We thank you that we have a venue like this. Father, I thank you for... Uh, all that goes into Providence Church to make it possible. Uh, Father, we thank you that you give us your word and we thank you that we have a chance to listen to it now. Father, please uh, give us uh, ears to hear your word this morning, we pray. Give us minds uh, to understand it and give us hearts that are soft and ready to be changed by it, we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, I want to start by stating something really obvious. Uh, it's, it's stating the obvious to say that we live in a world uh, that is full of suffering. Uh, that's not a controversial statement. Uh, all of us are aware of that. Uh, this, kind of, this kind of the headline suffering, and there should be a slide for that one. Uh, there's kind of almost, we've had almost two years of a global pandemic. Um, we're aware of, of famine and floods and violence and war. Uh, Even if those things haven't affected us directly, um, we have brothers and sisters. I think of brothers and sisters we have in Afghanistan and the suffering that they have faced, that kind of headline suffering. And then there's the private suffering. There's the the griefs and trials of our individual lives, Um, the suffering that doesn't make the headlines, but uh, the suffering that we know cuts us to the heart. And a question about suffering that is often posed to Christians uh, is this question. uh, Why is God so far away? In our modern age, that's a really common and frankly, it's an understandable question. Why is God so far away? If there really is a God, why does he seem to stand far off? Uh, If he really cares, why is he so distant? Why doesn't God intervene? Now, Hebrews chapter 2 is going to give us an answer to that question. Uh, This passage will assure us that God is not far away, uh, that God is not distant, 
that God has intervened and entered our world in the person of Jesus and that Jesus has experienced our suffering even to the point of death. And we're going to unpack that today bit by bit. But, but to get there, to, to get to an answer to our question, uh, Hebrews 2 is going to take us uh, via another question, and this time it's an ancient question. Uh, in the ancient world, people asked Christians uh, a different question, and not so much a why is God far away, but instead this question, uh, how could God come close like this? After all, you Christians claim that Jesus is God, truly God. But Jesus was a man and a man who died. And Jesus didn't even die an honorable death. He died an embarrassing death, a shameful death. He was naked and crucified for everyone passing by to see. How could someone who seriously claims that they are God and from God, how could they die? Uh, in fact, how could a powerful and glorious God embrace such pitiful weakness and submit to, to such head-turning shame? How could God come close like this? like Jesus on the cross? That's the ancient question. Uh, I don't know if some of you have Muslim friends, uh, but if you do, you might have discovered that um, an objection uh, very similar to this is one that many Muslims have about Christianity. For, for Islam, the idea that, that God uh, became a human and suffered death, that's just unthinkable. Uh, in fact, it's so profoundly unthinkable that it just kind of happened that way. That's what Islam would say. So even today, you might find yourself in conversation with someone uh, who asks, essentially, the, the ancient question. Now, Hebrews 2 gives an answer to this ancient question as well, and it's the boldest answer you can imagine. Uh, look with me. Let's follow along. Uh, verse 10. Let me read out verse 10 of chapter 2. Next, next slide. It says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory... It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. It was fitting, says Hebrews. It was appropriate. It was suitable. Uh, Jesus' suffering, it wasn't unfortunate. It wasn't regrettable. It wasn't something to steer the conversation away from if you're a Christian in the ancient world. It was fitting. It was so fitting, in fact, that you can even say God made Jesus perfect through suffering. That is an incredibly bold claim to make, uh, especially in the ancient world. Uh, now, we'll come back at the end to what uh, being made perfect means, but we'll get there by focusing on the fitting. Why was it fitting for Jesus to suffer to the point of death? The rest of this chapter 2 gives, I think, a clear answer. And if you had to summarize it, I think it's, it's this. Next slide. Jesus became completely like us so he could save us. I think that's the big idea of the passage. If you fall asleep, if you miss everything else this morning, uh, don't miss this. Jesus became completely like us so that he can save us. And becoming like us meant he had to suffer. 
And saving us meant he had to suffer. And so for that reason, and because of that plan, the suffering was fitting. Uh, Now, the passage, I think, highlights three aspects of Jesus becoming like us. We'll work through them one by one. They're on the next slide. You've got to click through them. Uh, Jesus became like us first as our brother, uh, second to free us from death, and third to atone for our sin. So let's start with this first one. Uh, Next slide. Jesus became like us as our brother. And let's read the next verse, verse 11. It says, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So we've got the language here of holiness, sanctification, if we want to use some jargon. Uh, Jesus makes people holy and we are those who are made holy. And holiness is a huge theme in Hebrews, but we're not going to focus on that today. I want to focus on the second part of that sentence uh, where it says Jesus and us are of the same family. Uh, if you've got a different English version, uh, some versions translate it as all of, from the same origin or all have one source. Uh, literally, it says Jesus and us are all from one. And the idea seems to be that we've got a common origin uh, in God. Um, in the verse we just read, verse 10, it says uh, God is the one for whom and through whom everything exists. And so here's a similar idea. Jesus and us both have our origin in God. We have the same Father. And because of that, Jesus identifies with us. Uh, Because we have the same Father, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We somehow, incredibly, are Jesus' siblings. And what you get uh, in the next few verses is a, is a few rapid-fire Old Testament quotes um, that, that kind of emphasize that point. We'll just go through them briefly. Uh, if you look in verse 12, it says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. So we're going sort of playing Old Testament bingo here. Spot the Old Testament quote. Um, this one comes from Psalm 22. Um, that's, that's one of the most famous psalms. Uh, in the original psalm, it's a, this is a turning point verse. So Psalm 22 is the famous cry to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which Jesus calls out on the cross. But if you follow that psalm through, partway through, the psalm kind of flips and becomes a psalm of deliverance. Uh, and the psalmist ends up praising God to his brothers and sisters uh, in the congregation. And this this sentence is that turning point. And so it's a bit like just as Jesus himself quotes the start of the psalm as he's dying on the cross, it's as though Hebrews is uh, putting the second half of the psalm on the lips of the risen and exalted Jesus, who's who's praising God, uh, but this time in our presence, which is cool. Uh, let's do the, the, the verse 13, the next couple of quotes. It says, And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, Here am I and the children God has given me. Um, that, that third quote's from Isaiah 8. The second quote probably is two. And in their context, they talk about Isaiah entrusting himself to God in the face of the opposition of the people. And I suspect Hebrews quotes them to remind us that Jesus entrusted himself to God. And his trust was was vindicated, God delivered him, 
and, and we benefit from that too. We're brought into Jesus' heavenly family. All right, even if you missed those quotes, the point here is clear. Jesus is truly our brother. Jesus is truly our brother. Uh, I think that's an incredible idea. Uh, I don't know if you have siblings or not. As we heard, I'm one of three kids. I'm the eldest, rightly so. Uh, and uh, I've got a sister after me and, and a brother after her. And yep, we heard my brother went to school with Mikey. Uh, I went to school with Mikey's sisters. I love having siblings, um, but the idea that Jesus is my brother, that just blows my mind. That does my head in. Um, siblings know you. Uh, they know everything about you. They know all the embarrassing stories about you. Uh, they know even the ugly stuff about you. Uh, siblings care about you, or at least in a, you know, in a functional family, in a healthy family, they, they care about you. And so the idea that Jesus is not just up there, um, but that he's close enough down here to, for him to be my brother, that is just extraordinary. And in fact, if we'd started today, it would have taken us a long time, um, but if we'd started at chapter 1 and started reading from there, we'd realise this is even more extraordinary. Chapter 1 tells us just how amazing Jesus is, how he is completely unique, uh, how he's the privileged and glorious son of God, the son on whom God's favour rests, the son to whom God says, you are my son, today I have begotten you, uh, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. And that eternal son of the only living God declares that we are now his siblings. And I think it's, it's just hard for us to even imagine how much a privilege that is. Um, imagine you go to work tomorrow <clears throat> and uh, let's say you work for a company and the CEO of the company walks up to you and says, look, from now on, I want you to start using my office anytime, no questions asked. How would you react? Or imagine tomorrow your, your phone rings and it turns out to be one of the billionaires, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, doesn't really matter. And once you figure out that it's not a prank call, uh, he tells you he's offering you the free use of his private jets anytime you want, anywhere you want, no questions asked. Now, I think many of us feel a bit uncomfortable about the billionaires. Maybe that's not the right analogy to use. That's not good news. I'm not saying they're like Jesus. Don't take it that far. Um, the, the point is this. The privileges that belong to the Son alone uh, now overflow to us because Jesus has become human. Um, if you'd read verse 9 before our passage, it talks about Jesus being crowned with glory and honour. And then in verse 10, we are now the sons and daughters brought to glory. Um, verse 11, we just saw Jesus is the one who makes people holy. We are now made holy by him too. We benefit from his status, his sonship. We're treated as God's sons and daughters just like him. Uh, so that he could save us, Jesus became completely like us as our brother. And that matters and it matters, I think, because it means that God is not distant. Uh, to address our modern question, God can never be thought of as distant or far away. Uh, I don't know when God feels most distant to you, when he seems most absent or far off or removed. 
Um, perhaps it's when you feel trapped. Uh, trapped in a situation that just seems to have no clear way forward or no clear way out. Um, maybe you feel trapped in a family that's dysfunctional or disintegrating. Uh, maybe you feel trapped in loneliness that just seems to have no hope. Uh, maybe you just feel trapped by how overwhelming life feels. I think that's heaps of people's experience these last two years, where there's just so much going on uh, that you don't even know where to start. Uh, I think my brothers and sisters in Afghanistan would feel trapped at the moment as they think about the future. Jesus declares to us that God, no matter how we feel, God is not absent. He is not distant. He has become one of us. He stands with us and he does so in order to save us. There's no place and there's no situation outside of his reach. Jesus became like us as our brother. <coughs> All right, that's the, the first way. The second way is this. Jesus became like us, click, to free us from death. Look at verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is kind of a string of tightly connected ideas. Jesus, he shared in our humanity, became physically human the, the way you and I are. And he did that uh, so much to the extent that he not only knows what it is to live as a human, but he knows what it is to die as a human. Uh, but his death accomplishes what ours can't, uh, his death, with his resurrection, it breaks the power of death, uh, which is wielded by the devil. And Jesus strips the devil of his power. And the result is that we are freed. And we're freed not only from death itself and the power of death, we're also freed from the fear of death. And it's really evocative. This verse describes the fear of death as like a lifelong slavery that we were all under. And I think that's true. I think it's true that death hangs over us uh, whether we realize it or not. And I think it, it affects us in ways um, that are big and small. Now, things like our continual desire to be young and healthy. Uh, our determination not to miss out, not to let life pass us by. Underneath those things, I think, uh, is our fear of death and our enslavement to it. And if people could see beyond the grave, if that was clearly visible, I think um, we wouldn't just fear the process of death, we'd fear the, the judgment of God that lies beyond the grave. But Hebrews here tells us that Jesus became like us to die like us, uh, and his death defeated the devil and frees us not only from death itself, but also from its fear. We no longer need to fear God's judgment, and we are no longer enslaved uh, to the fear of death. And again, if we'd started all the way back at chapter 1, I think our minds would be blown, because in chapter 1 we're told uh, the world was made through Jesus. And Jesus is the one who upholds the world, who sustains it. 
And so to, to echo some words from the book of Acts, it's the, it's the author of life itself who gave up his life for us. Uh, it's the sustainer of all life, who carries all life, who chose not to sustain his own life in order to free us from death. And that means that God is with us precisely when we might fear he isn't, uh, when we are dying. I don't know if you've had to face your own mortality yet. Uh, I've reached middle age and there are moments when that is just physically depressing. Um, Maybe you have, maybe you've had to, to face your mortality. Maybe you've had loved ones die around you. Uh, maybe you've been seriously sick or injured yourself. Maybe you have already felt something of the fear of death. And death is horrible and it's, it's not, even for Christians, I don't think it's wrong to be afraid of having to, to pass through it, to go through it. But Jesus offers us genuine comfort and reassurance that is grounded in reality. Uh, this passage declares that objectively we are free from slavery to the fear of death. Jesus has gone through death and resurrection ahead of us. Uh, he is the one who came out of the grave and he's the one who leads us out of the grave. And so he is the one who can deliver us from our fear of death. Uh, he is the one we cling to and cry out to and rely on. Uh, that we can trust to give us hope beyond the grave. Jesus became like us to, to free us from death. All right, hopefully you are still with me. But third point here, uh, Jesus became like us to atone for our sin. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 it says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Uh, only if Jesus became like us could he be our high priest. Uh, only if he's like us in every way can he represent us to God and, and intercede, stand between us and God on his behalf. Hebrews has got bucket loads to say about Jesus as our high priest. We're not going to go into it all now. But even just this one verse evokes so much from the Old Testament. Uh, it evokes the sacrificial system and the emphasis on purity and holiness. Uh, it evokes uh, our need for atonement if you're going to have a holy God living with an unholy people. Uh, it evokes the great day of atonement once a year when the high priest would go into the most holy place and offer sacrifices uh, for the people. And so Jesus has become like us so he can be that great high priest and represent us, intercede to the Father on our behalf. Uh, in the second half of the verse it says Jesus makes atonement for the sins of the people and so Jesus uh, ends up fulfilling two roles on the Day of Atonement. He's both the priest and he's the sacrifice. And so it's only by becoming human that he could completely and finally carry our sin on himself. Uh, only as the perfect human is he qualified to bear God's anger on us for our sin. Uh, only because he's completely like us can he atone uh, for us. 
And again, the, the context heightens the significance. Uh, in chapter 1, the son, we're told, loves righteousness and he hates wickedness. And chapter 4 tells us Jesus himself, he is without sin. And so the mind-blowing truth is it's the person who hates wickedness who carries our wickedness. And the person who has no sin, who stands uh, with us, with a sinful people, and absorbs the wrath that we deserve. Uh, he became completely like us to atone for our sin. And maybe this is actually the point at which God can feel most distant, uh, just after we have sinned. When we sin, <clears throat> we're, we're confronted again with our own failure. Uh, I don't know if you know those moments when, um, when you fail to a God, obey God yet again. And I know I find it easy in those moments just to think, well, maybe this time God has abandoned me to my own, my own wretchedness. Uh, and, and sin isolates us. It, it isolates us from God. It isolates us from each other. And I think it can make us feel at that moment that we are alone. But if we believe this chapter, and we should, uh, then even in the midst of our sin, even in the aftermath of our sin, we cannot think that God is distant. Uh, he has not left us alone in our own failure. Uh, in Jesus, God has come to us and he has stood in the middle of our sin, in all of our filth. He has stood with us and he was lifted up instead of us to save us uh, from all that we've done. Even in the midst of our sin, Jesus became human uh, to save us. And that's not all, uh, because look at verse 18. It says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Uh, Jesus knows what it is to be tempted. He knows the temptation that we face when we suffer. And yet he knows how to stand firm and he can help us to stand firm. So even when you're tempted, don't think that God is absent. Uh, don't think that God is distant. Don't, don't believe that lie. Uh, instead, uh, we need to go to the one who can help us, who's our brother, our saviour, our high priest. Now, to draw all of that together, um, there's one final observation to make. Um, what does it mean for Jesus to be made perfect? Well, it can't be talking about Jesus being made morally perfect because we know that was already true. Jesus was always without sin. Instead, what it seems to mean when it says that back in verse 10, it seems to mean that Jesus was made suitable for God's purposes. Jesus was fulfilling God's plan. Uh, God's plan not only for us, but also God's plans for Jesus. Uh, only by, by suffering to the point of death could Jesus defeat death and break the power of the devil and defeat the devil. And only by becoming truly human and experiencing the suffering that brings could Jesus be a, a faithful high priest and atone for our sin to God. And so by accomplishing everything that God had planned, Jesus' death is his perfection in that sense. 
and it's, it's entirely fitting for God's purposes. So God's not a, not a masochist. He doesn't delight in suffering for its own sake. Uh, he enters into it to rescue us out of it. And he endures it uh, because he loves us. Uh, there is so much in just these, these few short verses in Hebrews chapter 2. And I, I think we should pray that we would all get to know Jesus better, really whoever we are. If, if you're not a Christian uh, or you've been a Christian your whole life, then I think this is what we need to reflect on and appreciate. There is no one who has come further to meet you or to meet me than Jesus has. There is no one else who has become exactly like you to rescue you and to welcome you into God's own family as Jesus' own brother or sister. Uh, to defeat death, to free us from the fear of death, to atone for our sin, uh, to bring us complete forgiveness. There is nobody else like this. No one else who compares to Jesus. Uh, he's become completely like us so that he can save us. And so let's entrust ourselves to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, have mercy upon us. It's easy to read verses like this in the Bible and think, yeah, 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 we've, we've heard that before. But the truths you reveal here, Lord, are extraordinary and they are life-changing and they go to the heart of our experience as people in this world. Uh, Lord, whether we uh, know you already or whether we don't know you yet, please help us to understand how incredible it is that your only son, who was with you forever, would come down to us and become completely like us, even to the point of death, uh, to save us, to forgive us and to bring us into your family. Please, Father, write these truths on our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Um, that we might live them out uh, each day, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.